burned my finger 20 minutes ago. Kind of hurts still. Recently, like you said, you said 20. 20 minutes ago. Okay. I uh, grabbed something hot from the oven with my bare hand. Was the oven on? Yeah. Oh, so the neighbors just had a baby, and my wife baking them a casserole. So I was keeping watch on the three-year-old while she was cooking and she's like can you open the oven and there was like something you know for whatever reason there's a cast iron skillet in the uh, empty not being cooked but just in the oven i think maybe the kid had you know whatever it was there and so i knew without i was like okay i gotta move this fork she's got a casserole in her hands so i just reached in and grabbed it but the oven had been preheating and so i grabbed with my left hand like the the, the handle cast iron skillet in an oven that was probably about 350 so that's not joyous yeah anyway it's good to see me like wincing i'll be fine i'll pull through a little home alone action right there a little bit a little bit that'd be a good ooh, that'd be a good uh trap to heat up the pans to slap the bad guys in the face with in the oven oh that would be yeah it's a little sinister, but uh, it'll, it'll. I mean, that whole movie. When you think about it, I know. Uh, what's the what's your go-to? Would you put it under some water? Is water to the cure? Ice, ice, cold water. It helps. And there's not there's not blistering, so I think I you know, like. You, you knew kind of immediately. It, it hurt, but like it's not. Uh, I've had burns before. The worst one. I was making uh, popcorn. I have a whirly pop, fresh popcorn maker. As you would. And uh, so right when you're done, like you take it off and you uh, you want to pour it into a bowl for immediate eating, yeah. you open the top. And I opened it without an oven mitt in one hand and my thumb was in the way of all the hot air escaping and the hot air just went right onto my thumb. And it really hurt. And the next day it was a blister. I'm not kidding, like half an inch thick, just gray, puffy air. It looked like a pillow, like a pillow from a fancy hotel. It was kind of cool looking, if I'm honest with you. After you get over the pain, it's like, whoa, look at my thumb. Just a How old little... were you? Uh, at the time, I was probably like 35. Okay, so recently. Halfway a couple years ago, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to, Whirly Pops are kind of worthwhile. So it's the way to make popcorn, and I don't want my story to scare anybody off. I know, I, you know, you're a part-time Whirly Pool salesperson. Whirly um, Whirly pop. Potential sponsor, so I don't want to. Uh, I'm not even sure I know what you're talking about. I mean, completely. Uh, it's like a you pour a little the kernels with some oh, okay. or whatever, and then you turn it on the stove, and it, it pops. Oh, uh, so it's a little like more intensive. He's making your own popcorn. No, it's you know it's you know. Then opening a bag. From more the care. No, I'm saying it's more intensive. Your... Take a bag, throw it in the microwave, or you could just make or buy pre-made popcorn. And supposedly you're doing the hipster Brooklyn, dare I say, Wendell Berry method of making popcorn. I would differentiate Wendell Berry from a hipster, but sure, the old-fashioned way. You you get what I'm saying, though. I know what you're saying. Co-opted the. I just want to say hipsters are are more style than substance. I think the old-school farmers or more substance and that becomes its own style Mm. right chicken or the egg but anyway yeah the old-fashioned uh the old-fashioned uh you're like that though you you frown on people who drink tea out of bags you need your own i'm more hipster than wendell berry my brother jeff is more wendell berry than hipster if i'm being just brutal honesty with myself i'm more pretentious and hipsterish with my coffee like whole bean coffee, grind it the morning of, loose leaf tea instead of bag tea. That's hipster. That's hipster. But actually being a farmer, going in there, like my brother built his own barn. Like he insists on like building it himself, like chopping the wood. Every That's day. Wendell Berry. That's Wendell Berry. And it's not a coincidence he really likes Wendell Berry. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad your hand's fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. Um, so yeah, and I think I was wounded. I was wounded there. On that note, welcome to There Will Be Books, a podcast about books and burning your hand. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. 
and we don't have workers comp so i had to show up yeah i was just gonna say i, I was gonna tell you we don't like we don't have any hr forms to fill out yeah. um so we're just gonna have to we're gonna have to fight through this um if people didn't realize by the title of this it might be strike them as odd that we keep referring to wendell berry on this episode uh but that's who we're discussing tonight and specifically the book jaber crow it's, it's a hard one for me to say because we when we picked this book many many months ago uh we we said jay bear and your father who's a big fan and actually is the reason why we are reading this book uh let you know that we were pronouncing it wrong so it's mm-hmm. jibber like uh burr not bear b-e-r b-e-r yeah. uh the 2000 uh novel uh taking takes place in port williams sort of the uh famous place where most of the fiction of wendell berry takes place um sort of based on where he i think currently lives in kentucky um, loosely it's fictional like uh it's like county. faulkner's what's faulkner's county yeah, it's kind of like that I it's never pronounced that yeah it's it's re it's like very true to life but it's a fictional county so um coming into this when your dad recommended this i i knew the name wendell berry but i didn't know what he was tied to what kind of writing he did i could kind of guess that what i what jaber crow is is kind of what i expected it to be from just sort of loosely knowing about wendell berry um but as i kind of read more about him and read you know the book itself it seems like he he lends himself to a very passionate, devoted readership. Uh, yeah. And we can kind of get into why that is, but I wasn't really expecting sort of a very strong sense of like, when I say philosophy, I, I think that's the wrong term, but like a philosophy of life. I would say, yeah, it's philosophical. Philosophical in Meditative. a way. Yeah. Uh, it's not like the, you know, college level philosophy classes he took we couldn't understand anything but it's more of how humans should interact with their surroundings how they should treat people sort of a a way of life um that i was totally um enraptured with i love the story in this book i love the writing um glad your dad told us to read this book because it Mm -hmm. felt for me, and I don't know about you, like how I read this book sort of mirrored sort of, I think, the the philosophy of life. It's like I wanted to read it slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't it, – it's not a book that lends itself to rushing through. You kind of want to – I don't know. Some of the description, some of the writing. Uh, not surprisingly, Wendell Berry is also a poet, um, and it has some of those sensibilities. What that. was your uh, overall take, feeling on the book, Matt? Same. Same deal. I liked feel I would call it, I agree with this meditative and philosophical. The way philosophy used to be back before the academics got a hold of it, just kind of more to do with how to live than trying to prove some theorem or something. Yeah, I like it. You can tell Wendell Berry's got a point of view, kind of the old agricultural, rural traditions, and kind of detest the encroaching modern technology the machines uh yeah and he tend to i think the his fan base i think a lot of people tend to agree with that and so i think that's what draws his fan base and what draws people in you kind of nod your head and it's just a pleasant i keep comparing it when we talk i keep comparing it to dance with the music of time a little bit mm-hmm. it's a pleasant world to dip into and he's a good enough writer. He just makes this guy. It's one of the things when people ask you, what's it about? It's like, well, I don't know. A barber like lives in a small town and tells a story. And it is like, but trust me, it's better than that. Does yeah, that make, it's like, it's not hard to describe. Yeah, I, it's a book where I think a lot, because I saw this article where like, People have accused uh, Wendell Berry of being like romanticizing sort of this past and this sort of almost having a utopian view or maybe mm-hmm. I'm making that word up, but just it's flawed. But a lot of the characters seem content and happy or maybe they aren't always, 
with very little in life and that they, this idea that you strive and want more and more and more. And there's a specific character that sort of seems to be um, kind of the antithesis of what Wendell Berry like views as necessary in life, a, a character. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, takes out loans and wants the newest machinery for agriculture and is in debt all the time and thinks in debt is the, and all these things. And it kind of goes in, you know, obviously that sort of character sort of ends up flat on his face, but I just got the sense of the simple things in life should be cherished in this book. Like that's sort of a main theme that life isn't always easy. Uh, Life isn't always about you choosing the path your life leads it's sort of for for our kind of main characters, like his sort of life leads in various ways, but sort of he, he mentions not always in his choosing or sort of, I think that's sort of a unique viewpoint a lot of times. I think a lot of times people think, oh, I have total control of my life and that's what I should strive for rather mm-hmm. than accepting the highs and lows of life, which seemed to what the book is kind of about, like sort of the, the small moments that bring pleasure to people's lives, the taking care of your neighbor, you know, life, death, um, just sort of a more in touch view of, of kind of the community and people is what I, and it's, I, I know it kind of makes you want to slow down your life, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in a way. So you yeah. want anything um, else on that sort of, did you feel well, like, man, I want to lead my life a little bit differently or, or slow down, appreciate the small things. Yeah. Well, Jaber is an interesting, he's a good character to narrate a story like this as the barber hears all the gossip from the town. And so we can kind of explain what's going on in other people's lives, tell some stories and anecdotes about Port William. Um, yeah, it's and it is the the Troy Chatham character is an interesting counterpoint because Troy is pretty much he represents the modern world and the encroaching new way of farming. We just you know farm as much land as you can. You go into debt to buy the tractors to do it and leverage that to buy more land and on and on and on. And it kind of you don't rotate the crops. Uh, it's bad for the soil. It's just not. He, you tear down trees to make plot, you know, everything that Jaber and most of the other older townspeople, and you can tell by extension, Wendell Berry, everything they love about the rural lifestyle is destroyed by people embodied in that character. Um, you know. Yeah, it's, it's all, I did not feel like this book was written in 2000, but I think it is interesting because like it could have been anywhere from 1970 to now. I so like nineteen thirty or something. I know the book that like that would make ends in the seventies, but yeah, seventies. But I'm saying just sort of the the pace and nature of the of the characters. It did not feel like a turn of the century, you know, modern. Um, which I think is interesting because I think the times have changed. A lot of sort of the same principles can kind of mm-hmm. be applied in in a way. Um, the character Troy, we can kind of do a loose outline of the book it's not there's not a whole lot of dynamic our main character jaber crow it's basically the story of his life coming up from very hard upbringing sort of you know parents have passed away aunt and uncle sort of passed away early on sort of searching out his path in life uh maybe getting into the kind of you know religious realm ends up be, you know settling down in port william and being the barber for what is it, like 30 years or something like that Um, and just sort of oftentimes you know as the story goes along people you know talk to the barber sort of a i don't think that's like a cliche so to speak but he's often like a sounding board for these people's stories and so this the book just kind of goes from there right um and he has the love of his life who is i think brings sadness but also a purpose later on in his life that kind of makes them more rooted but it's nothing is there's no i would say it's actually a fairly sad book in a lot of ways um which is usually yeah. my style and it ends on a fairly sad note but oh uh, really see i don't know i don't know i, think, I wonder i i, I, I saw wonder. it as very touching but also very 
Oh. Like a moving moment. Uh, Do you want to get into that? Because I kind of want to talk about the Maddie Chatham line. And it, it is, it, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Okay. So, a couple things along that line. Two things. If we let's get into that. Now. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, I want to ask if you think Jaber intentionally puts himself at a distance, is like intentionally aloof, or if that's just his nature. And then there's a whole going part hand in hand with that is uh, he's kind of when he's younger, he talks about a girl, Maddie Chatham, who he's always been in love with. And you're kind of wondering, okay, does he ever actually either tell her about this to have a relationship or does he tell her and she shoots him down or like what's going to happen here? And it goes on and on. And she marries the Troy character, which adds another element that he kind of hates Troy and it's just like wrapped up into, you know, he's, he's, he married the girl you're in love with and he embodies everything you hate about the world. Anyway, uh, but it goes on and on and you realize like, oh, this might be just un, not even unrequited, but unacknowledged uh, on the girl's part. And so it's kind of part of Jaber's aloofness. And then the ending has to do with that. And I guess we have to get into that now. But so do you think he purposely keeps himself aloof? And the Maddie dynamic. What do you think about I that? I think, in a way, yes, because I don't think his sort of philosophy on life is he wants to interject himself and sort of cause a great division in sort of Maddie Chatham's life, right? Oh, yeah. And it wasn't the culture of the time for him to be a homewrecker or whatever. Yeah, but it's also, uh, I think it goes to the, the point of the story maybe is you don't always get what you want. And there's not, not always like forcibly trying to like break up a marriage that is clearly like unhealthy is yeah, sort he catches of, Troy cheating on her. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's a, a, a kind of differing sensibility where it says, you know, you should, you should do that. Like you should um, make your voice heard, but it, it almost seems like that's, he feels like that's not his place. It and wouldn't be keeping with, his he care. makes this like devoted thing. That's a little, it's a little odd where he kind of acts or in like some spiritual sense, he can like, you know, I'm talking about where he says he's like married to her, but they will never he, be married or they'll, he decides, they'll never yeah. voice that sort of understanding. And this is sort of after he finds out that Troy has been cheating on her. Um, but then at the end, they have these moments in this sort of wooded area um, where it, it's never planned. And it's very... They run into each other and just sit together. Yeah, and it's... You know, yeah. It's it's sort of romantic and sad and two people who are kind of lonely, I feel like, at this point in their life. Um, and it's almost a, a moment of... I would, I would really classify it as like a moment of grace at the end of their lives. Mm -hmm. A moment of like just sort of coming to terms with what's happened but not in a very like a huge event but just slowly like this will continue and then we will both die or one of us you know that kind of way mm -hmm. um and i think i don't know i think the book kind of stresses that's okay like it doesn't have to be because i was sort of expecting going in like oh he will eventually yeah, uh, no. yeah. and then i realized that's not really the point of the, the story is what mm -hmm. wendell berry's trying to go for there's not this need or I don't really know what the word to put but I don't know it just felt like it, it kept in the theme of the book of sometimes you get what you want sometimes you don't mm -hmm. you kind of you just keep going day by day and I don't know if this sounds depressing to people like oh what a horrible way of life but just the way Wendell Berry describes it and sort of the I wouldn't ask you like I think the book is obviously kind of spiritual and religious in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And as someone who's never been like involved in organized religion, I think the way he does describe it all is very, I don't know, uplifting and like, it doesn't, it rings more true and sort of heartfelt than sort of what I was expecting. Um, yeah. Kind of as I went, does that make sense? It feels because Jaber has issues with sort of, I don't know, 
aspects of religion right or organized religion organized stuff and then you get into that it's kind of fun when he's at the and it's not an orphanage the school he's at and he kind of gets into it with the because he actually thinks about yeah it's, bible and stuff what's going on he kind of challenges his the and teacher. he makes his own sort of his yeah. piece with his his view on it which i think is actually a very healthy way of doing it like your own connection to whatever like sort of belief system you have is probably the most important thing and not be directly controlled by that's just my opinion and but sort of what i felt like the book was sort of hinting at i Uh, think you know along those lines i think jaber the rest of his life is kind of him coming to grips and trying to be that type of person right the person who lives out his ideals and is concerned with yeah what the good life did you catch at the beginning and then at the end he says explicitly, this is a book about heaven. Yeah. Um, I think that's what he's trying to make his own little heaven on earth through living the good life. And it's so significant. He tells him so he can bring himself to love everybody except Troy. That's yeah. his one big hurdle. Like he can't. So I, and I think kind of, he does purposely set himself out of a move like certain kind of mystical holy men tend to do. I thought of Loris a little bit. Especially, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very good married to Maddie in his mind. Loris, remember, carried a torch yeah. for his dead uh girlfriend from when he was really young. But you know, he's kind of like a removed holy man who listens to people's problems and kind of quietly tries to live according to his principles. Yeah, and um, he's almost a vital part of the fabric of the community, right? I wouldn't say just town because it's not, it's a kind of town built but it, the yeah. book i feel like is all about community and how mm-hmm. people um i will say i i would probably benefit benefit from a rereading of this book just the there's a lot of characters and just get a sense of who uh better sense of who kind of minor characters are um mm-hmm. and there's like a creek that sounds like a person's name that i realized wasn't a person <laughs> <laughs> um but no, and it's while it's all those things, the book off oftentimes also also deals with sort of the loss of this small American town, um, or like either through technology, new farming techniques, a highway system, or you know just people dying, and there's no real people that like replenish the population in a way, um. So it does a lot of different things um, really well. I give this book five, I think I give this book five stars. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, it's in there. On top of all that, there are some just fantastic passages in this book of just beauty and just great writing and just um, all the way through. It's, there's no sort of peaks and valleys of, of kind of the writing and that's I, they're the high i underlined and starred probably 25 passages in this book mm-hmm. just like oh that's a either a great philosophy or a great great way of describing things or um like almost a life lesson in a way did you find that same thing matt oh yeah i had a couple that i wrote down for tonight that kind of just struck me as true well let's just go through really good he's got some good descriptions of the river and like beautiful uh, prose. But here's a couple of just quick things that I really liked. Uh, people don't necessarily want to know things by names they don't already use. Uh, you can't dislike nearly everyone and feel quite certain you've exempted yourself, which is very true. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it at the end when he's living on the river and he's talking about the people who are like boating and jet skiing or whatever on the river. He's like, people were in an emergency to relax. Like how urgent they felt to have fun and, and relax on the river, almost like it was a, you know, a chore. Stuff like that littered throughout the book. Um, I just picked a random passage that I found. Uh, kind of a, a sad part is kind of the life of Jimmy Chatham. Or, yeah, Chatham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of going off to war um 
book kind of deals with like how war takes a huge toll on small communities because there's not like yeah, yeah. World War in Vietnam. It, um, yeah. This passage goes. It seemed after he was killed and buried that my own left hand kept the memory of the shape and feel of Jimmy Tap Chatham's head when he was little, and I would have to clamp my head above his ears to keep him from looking around while I cut his hair. Somewhere underneath all the polit politics, the ambition, the harsh talk, the power, the violence, the will to destroy, and the waste and maim and burn was this tenderness. Tenderness born into madness, preservable only by suffering, and finally not preservable, preservable at all. What, what can love do? Love waits, if it must, maybe forever. Uh, it's, uh, it's good. I mean, it's almost every couple pages there's a passage of, um, and that's almost, you know, love waits forever. That's sort of his, what he does in the end. Um, that's, what, yeah, that's kind of what he does with his life, yeah. Um, did your dad ask how you liked the book or did your brother reach out to you? And... Not yet. I'm sure I'll hear from him after this. Okay. So I was curious why this book is not, this is sort of later on in the Port Williams series. Is there a reason why your dad wanted us to read this one? Do you remember? Gather is just a good one to start with. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. Like some characters you recognize from titles of other books. Yeah. Probably some of the names. There's, because of uh, Hannah Coulter is the title of one of the books. And there's Burley Coulter in this. So I'm assuming they're related somehow. I guess it goes all the way back to the Civil War. You kind of get a sequence of, there's Andy Catlett is another one. I understand it was either, my dad was going to do either this one or Memories of Old Jack. Okay. So, oh, yeah. I'm glad we, I was tempted because he kept bugging me about when are you going to finish it? When are you going to finish it? It's taking you guys long kind of wanted to make this a patron episode and make him subscribe <laughs> to listen to it but i i wanted to say like reiterate like i didn't feel i didn't want to rush this never mm -hmm. felt like a book oh let me like try to read really fast and get through this some books are like that and you can kind of benefit from that so you keep it like a fast rhythm but the pacing of this book felt very um just slow like take it slow you don't have to I never felt like whenever I tried to read it fast or go fast, I felt like I lost something when I tried to do that. So uh, mm -hmm. hopefully your dad, you know, is yeah. okay with that. And yeah. also we are, we're trying to read like 15 books right now. So. No, it's good. It's, I'm glad I felt the same way, kind of meandering leisurely, leisurely, like a meandering river. It's almost like, you know, with sort of a haircut, like I bet I imagine these haircuts that he gives are at least an hour. 45 yeah, minutes of talking, much. 45 minutes of talking, 15 minutes of haircut. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else, Matt? What other? Okay. So let me, I like how he calls it. It's just the war and the economy. I noticed that too. Like it's the same war that just comes around in different guys every 20 or so years. Um, and the economy is kind of like a machine. They're just some sort of like, uh like in the never ending story the nothing just this big thing that's coming to overtake you looming on the horizon that's it, it like encroaching on you i thought i liked how he did that yeah i thought that was very like he, i feel like he gets to his point and it but it never feels overbearing at least to me like just just how it when, is, when, right? when the writer has like a distinct point of view and I read a part of this. Uh, I didn't actually know that he was still alive. But there was a profile in the New Yorker from 2019 that I kind of read the beginning of. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with my train of thought with that. But he, yeah, I don't know where I was going. Uh, well, I'll say this. Um, he's still like, he's almost you the kind of the writer you would think would write this and his beliefs he's like the, like the person doing the interview it was all through letters he didn't have like a computer mm, uh, right yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff um i almost wish i didn't know all that to be honest with you like i kind of like the i don't really want to know everything about wendell berry does that make sense because i was reading i'm like sure. some of this is almost too much like it gets into like current politics. I almost appreciate him creating this world that feels at, like sort of timeless. 
And I don't know why I couldn't really figure hmm. out why I didn't want to continue on this profile because I was like, I don't want to hear his, every like his real thoughts on everything. I don't know if that's like I gotcha. It might impinge on the story. Yeah, well, it's just I don't know. It's just sometimes you, you just want to keep a distance from a writer, like appreciate what they wrote and sort of their viewpoint, but not, I don't need to hear everything. Like I don't need to hear the podcast from Wendell Berry. Right. No, I'm with you. I don't think he'd ever do, he physically couldn't do a podcast. Physically couldn't do it, but that was just like an example of, I think that sort of society or people like culture will probably benefit from that. Cause nowadays it's, every comedian has a podcast so you you enjoy their special but then you get 100 extra hours of content and it's almost like sometimes it's a little too much i think it's excess and maybe the, there's like a bubble that will burst so with writers sometimes i feel like the more you know in their actual quotes about stuff not that it makes it less enjoyable but it's just like i eh, i'm okay with the the books the books are really good cuz i i really want to write read his poetry there's some nonfiction stuff that he wrote that seemed very interesting. Mm. Uh, for some reason, I didn't really want to delve into a uh, profile. This is a long profile, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. Um, and he kind of talked about um, sort of his views and in a personal sense about small time community and agricultural and stuff like that. But well, uh, and that's what his essays are about. Okay. I've read some of those; they're pretty good. You're, yeah, you. But they're not. They don't get political, political like preachy. You can tell he's got his point of view. But it reminded me, um, not James Elroy, but yeah, James Elroy. He's the guy who's like no, Elmore Leonard. Who was the guy who made me read the guy who like lives in the fifties? Elroy. Elroy. It reminded me a whiff of that. Oh really? Like very proud of the fact that he doesn't have this stuff. Oh, well, I can I can tell you. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Elroy doesn't. But I think without all the pretension that sort of Elroy attaches to it, maybe. Elroy, and Elroy's shtick, too. He, he yeah, that's a shtick. That's a good way to put it. With Wendell Berry, I 100% believe he doesn't have a cell phone or a computer. Yeah, that's not surprising so. at all. It's like a very small room where he writes. Yeah, um, I believe that. But anyway, so speaking of, it's funny you bring Elroy up because after Cormac McCarthy died, People are talking about like, okay, now who's the greatest living American writers? And I just think I think it's Wendell Berry and James Elroy. I don't I, see. I never really heard it was is Wendell Berry mentioned as the sort of the great. I think he's not, thing, but not in our Twitter circles. But okay. that's you know, uh, I think that a lot of people said Pynchon, who I can't disagree with. But I, I mean, I I think Wendell Berry and Elroy are the the two guys after McCarthy died so just my take i when he's up there having i, I want to read more i want to read more oh yeah you could totally talk uh, to me just starting from the the beginning i don't even know if i'd want to read another novel of his to be completely honest it was more i, I do maybe not next but i i want to start with, oh i would but i would kind of want to see like i want to read his poetry um yeah, yeah. non-fiction um because it definitely like i said earlier I think you would agree. Like you can see how you can become a huge fan, like how your brother became a huge fan and sort of your dad. Like it makes, once you read these, you're like, Oh, I, I get either a agree or B be like, Oh, I understand why someone would kind of fall in love or uh, become a huge fan of his. So yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I don't have much else in the way of describing the praise. Um, I got a couple more stuff. Thanks to throw at you. I, I always love that. Okay, so here, this one's for you. This is also for Jeff, if you're listening. Uh, okay, so here's my little theory. So there's a first, one of my favorite little scenes. It was a story that he heard, I think, Athy Keith was telling about from when he was a kid. Can I also say real quick, Athy Keith is a fantastic character. Yep, yep. he's an old that. school farmer. So anyway, so it's when, when this old guy was telling a story from when he was young. So in the 18... 18- 60s or 80s i kind of but like so back in the day and he's telling the stories about uh the regulators at the hog killing mm-hmm. right and so there's this big they made it to do about killing a bunch of hogs and then getting the meat i guess but they also had some you know this is like christian territory and they had they had a little moonshine with yeah. them 
and they get drunk and kill the hogs. But then these people in masks come along. They're called the regulators and they come along and they're at first you think they're like crusaders who are anti-booze. You're like, you know, because it would have been pro I think it was older than prohibition. Yeah. I think it might have been just a county law. There was no booze allowed. Anyway, they made a big show of they're just enforcing the anti-booze laws. But then you kind of realize, oh, they sit down and they start eating the meat and drinking the booze. So under the guise of enforcing the law, they're just taking what they want, right? It's a good story. They kind of know who the, everybody is behind the mask. And it, it's, a, it's a good anecdote. It's played for comedy. You know, now we're going to get caught and our, my wife is going to find out we're drinking, you know, all this stuff. But it's interesting. They're called the regulators. And I did kind of like, they, they just, they want, they're just taking yeah. your stuff. And under the guise of moral authority. Didn't they like know them sort of? And like, they knew they knew who they were. They're like, oh, I know who that guy is, despite the mask. And and actually, they kind of they they oh, and they get locked in the barn while the regulators eat their stuff. And then somehow they get out. Somebody else comes along and rescues them and take off their masks. And it's you know, kind of kind of like the show's over and he becomes just a person again. There's not this guy with a mountain on horseback with a mask and a torch. Anyway. Cool, good story. One of my favorite scenes in the book. But then there's a scene later when Jaber kind of quits officially being the barber of Port William and moves down to a little shack by the river. An inspector slash regulator from the economy, like the new, the new encroaching, the new, new ways of living of society encroaching on the old placid uh, Port William. An inspector slash regulator comes in to the barber shop and was either going to fine or shut down Jaber's barber shop because he didn't have running water. But Jaber's like, I don't need running water to cut these people's head. You know, it was just like a a bureaucratic. Well, he had a well too. Like, yeah, he had a well, but you had to officially have running water according to the bureaucracy, and so you know that kind of forces Jaber out. I like how all the. uh, his customers, the members of the community have his back. They're like, oh, this isn't a business. We just, you know, sit here and chat. He cuts our hair and we give him a donation. It's kind mm-hmm. of a workaround. But I was wondering if there's a connection between the regulators, one of the guys of moral authority just kind of take what they want, like booze and hog meat. And then the new regulators who under the guise of making things safe are kind of assuming accumulating local businesses and imposing their way of life on people. I wonder if that's a conscious connection on Wendell Berry's part. Yeah, I see what you're saying. What, you know what I mean? I think the sort of the modern regulator ties into the encroachment of either like starts with the highway, but like modern society, m- making sure that there are these rules in place, I guess. And it's well, it, they, and it's also incorporating them. Yeah. Yeah. You mean to pl- where places where it's not necessary, like well, yeah, and you don't purposes. need a health inspector at the at his a barber shop that probably has two hundred people, right? Yeah, but that's not the point to him. It's like yeah. you are now under our domain, and we're in charge here. Is kind of the the ultimate unsaid point. It's under the guise of oh, we're just making sure it's safe, yeah, and cleanly. And it obviously is. And I think Jaber gets that deep down and that's why he decides to leave. He's like, I'm not, because you could, you could just, uh, I think his friends tell him we could just hook up a pipe and, and he just doesn't really, he's like, I can't, I don't want to be under this, this syst, the economy, the system. And so he leaves, but I think there's a connection between the regulators on horseback stealing and then the inspector guy who shuts down or yeah. him shutting down a shop. Yeah, I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't, yeah. I can see either case be made. I will say I loved, like, when the story turned from him having to leave his, like, barbershop, I think it was, like, 1969 is what I want to say. And then he kind of does, like, you know, off-the-book sort of haircuts, and he's living down by the river, yeah. um, kind of in this house-slash-hut type deal that's, you know, through the generosity of his friends. I just love that sort of turn in the story where it's mm-hmm. he he doesn't find like complete joy. He, he often says he still has some of the issues that he had before, but just it's a nice way to see a character that you kind of learn to care about sort of 
ride off into the sunset. So to speak. I thought he kind of enjoyed his retirement for the most. Yeah, part. yeah. Yeah, you know, he's just hanging Maybe out. Maybe think too, like also this book doesn't really get into it, but like what do you do when you get like really sick in a community I like mean, this? <laughs> it's like not a lot of options, except for like you know, the sort of generosity of of uh your neighbor, so to speak. But well there's a I mean Maddie is sick at the end and she and goes there's a yeah, there's a yeah hospital ten miles away or something. But yeah, it always, that's, always that's what feels like ten miles is a hundred miles yeah. in a story like oh, this. And Jaber makes a point not to have a car. He had one for a bit, but yeah. 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 I think the beginning is too is fascinating. Sort of the backstory setting up to kind of the, the, the meat of the story is like his life as a barber in this small town, but understanding why he is the way he is because of his backstory. I think it's really well done too in the book. So. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's about a guy kind of wrestling with how to live the good life. And I think that's what he means when it says it's a book about heaven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it'll make you think this book. Yeah. It's uh, enjoyable, but it also, you'll stop and think about things, either minor things in your life or big things in your life. Um, yeah. It's definitely a, a book I'll remember. Um, and hopefully at some other point we'll uh, pick up Wendell Berry again. So we'll do it. We'll think, loop back uh, in. I hear memories of old Jack or maybe we'll just go. I'd be down to just chronologically the oldest. I think the time. first one was published in 1960. I mean, the setting. So like go oh, back the to this, okay. whatever's like the civil war or revolutionary or whatever, and then go through chronologically that way. Or whatever people vote on. My dad got it, chose this because he won our little NFL playoff bracket. So if we do a March Madness bracket and you win and you want to have us do whatever, we'll, we'll probably do it again and yeah. read whatever the winner tells us. So, yeah. very, so real quick, uh, I had in my notes, does Maddie Chatham know that Jaber's in love with her? I, I think, think the ending answers it, but I wanted your take. I think so. Yeah. Um but yeah, she's a little bit more of a mystery because, I, yeah, I, it's hard to pin down exactly what her feelings are. Um, I like the turn of event where like the family farm gets left to her, um, mm-hmm. and her alone, and her kind of husband, who's who her father can tell you know it's going to lead to ruin in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it didn't. I think she knew, and I think those moments, those quiet moments that they have at the end is kind of even better than maybe sort of a relationship in a weird, weird way that I can mm-hmm. sort of, that's kind of what you're trying to grasp with and the characters are trying to deal with. Like these small moments, they continually happen. They're not planned, but they kind of are, I don't know. It's a hard question to sort of pinpoint yeah moments of grace or whatever yeah just there that there doesn't need to be a big event right yeah it doesn't marriage breaks up and a new marriage takes its place and yeah the town is in sort of turmoil over this kind of thing um i think those small moments are enough i think is what the book Mm -hmm. is trying to say but yeah yeah i think she always knew because women know these things. Yes. But then the end raises the question of maybe she reciprocated a little bit. When he says, what about all this? And she smiles at him and says, yes. Like she knows what he's talking about. And then the book just ends. But I think it raises that question. Good question. I would just, how it very end. I think he's, when he says, what does he say? Because he goes and sees her in the hospital because he was avoiding doing it. Because he doesn't want people to see him going. What about this other thing? Yeah, she says. Oh, that's what you said. Then she goes. She smiles and says yes. So I think that raised the question. Maybe she reciprocated too, because I think she always knew. Yeah, this other thing could be that connection in the. And she's acknowledging it. I. That's my take. I'd be curious if you've read this. Well, I wonder. What about this other thing? Has he asked her a question? Because that seems to imply 
what about this other thing? Like I have asked you a question, right? And she goes, yes. Well, the other, they're talking about the nest egg and Troy bulldozing the nest egg. And then he's like, well, I took this other thing to mean their whatever you'd call their relationship. But and hasn't he already yeah. like in his head like 20 years earlier proposed? He's never to talked her? to her. Yeah. I know he didn't actually do that, but like in well, no, he head. he calls it marriage, but I think he's just devoting himself to her in his head, but she doesn't know. He doesn't tell her. This is the first time they've ever spoken about it, right before she dies. And so that's what I took to be the other thing. And when she says yes, that's her acknowledging that it exists. Yeah, her. I think, yeah, that's a good way of looking. Yeah. See, and I think that's happy. I don't think that's sad. I think that's it's bittersweet that she is dying. Bittersweet. It's just yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's my take on it. If you've read it and you agree or disagree, let me know. And I think it's a book a lot of people, if they never read Wendell Berry or or you know, listening to us or curious, I definitely think this should the book should go near the top of your TBR. Uh yeah. pick up and enjoy. And like I said, don't read it fast. Enjoy it in slow, you know, take, moments. Um, yeah. And, take, uh, take nine or ten months, no matter what your dad says. Uh, Matt, we will end tonight with a little bit of fun. Yep. Uh, over on our Patreon, we picked our new thriller book, 13, Steve Kavanaugh, uh, a book apparently about a serial killer who is on the jury. Uh, of For a, a trial at the murder he committed. Murray committed. Great. What's fantastic premise? Fantastic premise. And like we do always with our sort of um, thriller book club over on Patreon, we do a little bit of a prop bet uh, where we make predictions or ask questions, you know, of each other of what we expect to happen in the book. Sometimes we are correct or close, and sometimes we are completely off. And these are based on just genre convictions and having read no more than the jacket covers and the blurbs. So before we start, it's a fun thing to do with these little thriller books. And so we're going to get those down here. If you want to respond, patrons can get in on them. We'll, We'll write them down, and you can get in on them or add your own over on our Patreon page. Very fun. Um, do you want to begin, Matt? Okay, so here's I brought up some in the episode, but we'll make we'll make some official if you're down, and we'll go on the record with with our predictions. Uh, let's see. So the main character is Eddie Flynn, a con man turned lawyer, and con man as like a the sting, not an ex con. Uh, so what are some of his quirks? Does he have like? So wear a green tie. Does he have fidget spinners? Does he what is he gonna have some quirks? What are they? Um, let's see here. Eddie's quirks. I'm gonna say I was thinking something with his tie, right? Okay. Uh, like a tie. A tie. Either it could be a bow tie, like it could be yeah. like a unusual neckwear. I gotcha. Or even just like a, a Irish flag pin. Anything to do with a tie of his quirk, you win, Peter. Okay. I'll, I'm going to say he's always dressed fancy. Really nice suits. Okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, does he have a magical friend? <laughs> and not like, I mean, like in a lot of private eye and detective stories, they have like a, a quirky or um, gotcha. friend who helps them out. Yes. Like a high-powered, a rich, rich buddy. Um, I think... I'm going to go no, actually. I want it to be true. I can see where you're going with this. It doesn't happen. I'm going to do the opposite of what I feel like. I don't think there's going to be this magical sort of person to bounce off and sort of come up with wild theories that Eddie sort of initially like dismisses. I think it's sort of the how that would play out, right? Uh, yeah, and it, let me just emphasize here: it's not literally magic. I know it's not literally magic. Okay, no, no. I just want it for the listener too. Yeah. Like Sherlock Holmes has the Baker Street Irregulars, like the network of street yeah. urchins, who, like stuff like that. Just a uh, 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 in Dennis Lehane's detective series, the the Private Eye has a, a 
a high powered attorney who owes him something. Yeah. Something like that. That's what are you gonna go yes then? I'm gonna say yes and I'm gonna say his investigator. Okay. Other lawyers have investigators, and investigator is a friend from his con artist days. Okay. Con artist investigator is what I'm saying. Investigator. All right. Uh is Eddie Flynn, Steve Cavanaugh is uh, the author's Irish. Eddie Flynn sounds like an Irish name. Are we going to get some Irish stuff slash references? I was thinking of setting the number of Irish references at 3.5. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to go under. Is it under? Yeah. I'm going to go over. Okay. Just Irish stuff. You know? okay. <laughs> Making reference to his Irish heritage. That's I mean, we're coming into the series on book four, so we might so might not get a lot too. Yeah. If he's I'm just an assumption too. He might not even be Irish. I don't know. True. Just true. Guess. All right. Is he a drinker or in recovery? Going with the um recovery. You're gonna say recovery. I'm gonna say he drinks a little bit, not heavily, but he, you know. Okay. Maybe maybe a quirk is that he does. Uh is there going to be a Irish bar or like a hole in the wall bar that he retreats to? I'm going to go yes. Pub. I'm going to say yes too. I always feel, and I'll make a little bit prediction like that. And I can't, when I was reading the snap synopsis of it, it's like a high profile case, right? That might be the place where he goes to the bar and people are like, Hey, Eddie, can you talk? And he's like, I can't talk about the case. Oh, I got you. Yeah, maybe yeah. he does talk about the case. Okay, so that's him showing up at his favorite bar as kind of like the celebrity, like his old haunts, right? Like his okay. old everyone knew from his back con. in the day when he was a con, right? Oh, I like that. Okay, I'm gonna just say maybe they strat instead of the office, he and his team strategize at the bar. Ooh, I like that too. Strategize okay. at the bar. The bar could be huge if there's not a bar in this book. Or slow, or like it's a slow bar that hole in the wall. Okay. So it's like slow enough for him to strategize. We'll yeah. see. Or if there's no bar, we both lose. Yeah. Uh, okay. So moving on to that. So it's a, the trial apparently is, is a famous Hollywood actor who gets charged for murdering his wife. But of course, the real killer is on the jury. Yeah. Great, great premise. Uh, so is the Hollywood guy going to be sympathetic or kind of a jerk? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say jerk. You say jerk. Yeah. Me too. Because I think that's gonna be the reason he's he's on trial, and everybody assumes he's kind of a jerk. So okay, both jerk. Uh, Is it gonna be like a you know the term Ramona Clay? Is it gonna be a little wink and a nudge, like we know who the actor is? I had that too, actually, is one of my is the the movie based on true events. Like is this loose, just a wink. It doesn't have, it's not he doesn't want to get sued, presumably. I think we're gonna say yes. Like I assume we'll learn some details about the, the case, right? Yeah. And it's it, it, it doesn't have you don't have to be specific, but like a bodybuilder turned action movie star, wink. <laughs> or you know, a short a short little guy who's into a weird cult, wink, right? It's like I, I took that as Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito. Well, no, the cult. Well, no. Oh, okay. I can't. We can't say that one. We can't say it. Yeah, it, not a cult. A just a fantastic organization. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Are we going to get a wink? I got you. I got you. I got you. you say yes. Move along. Move along. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We both say yes. Some sort of wink. Uh, let's see. Okay, so is the serial killer caught at the end? I'm gonna say yeah. By the public, like we're we know obviously, but oh, what if like it's in the? Is it possible that it gets resolved with Eddie knowing the truth, and just gets the actor but... off? But the serial killer doesn't get arrested. Oh, so he gets the actor away. off, and the serial killer gets away. Hot can either be arrested or killed. But you know what I mean? Does he like Eddie? Okay, here's here's my prediction. The... Okay, he gets the actor off. The serial killer looks like they're going to get away. And the last scene is uh, up for debate. 
whether he kills the serial killer or not. Okay. Or he's so like, it leads maybe... into maybe future books. See, I was going to say, I think I'm going to say, I put the odds of him getting caught at minus 300, by the way. I think he probably will. Yeah. But it's the details. I like yours. I'm going to say he gets caught, but he goes to jail. And like Lex Luthor, Hannibal Lecter, he's going to be available to like show up from prison. Or how about this? In a later how about on. this prediction. He finds out. Okay. It's a little backstory here. The serial guy, killer guy has like huge sway on the trial or on the jury, right? And Eddie Flynn can see he's going to lose his trial because this guy is just got, he's like somehow, I don't know exactly, but he's, he's he sees like he's the key uh, jury member, finds out he's a serial killer. Eddie comes to him and says, Hey, I won't turn you in to be a, you know, we all have dark past. This is not going to happen, by the way. We all have dark past. Why don't we make a deal here? Why don't I forget the fact that you're a serial killer? And you convince the rest of the jury to get my client off. Now, here's where the twist comes in. Eddie is like, I'm an ex-con, whatever. Gets the favor done, turns ser- serial killer in. Mm. How about that? Do you see it? The switcheroo I just did? I like that. I'm going to put the odds at like plus 600. <laughs> so you cash in if it happens. I don't know about that. That's my prediction. Yeah. My okay. official prediction. And once again, ex-con is not ex-convict, is a con artist. Con artist, whatever. Confidence man. Like he's a good talker. Uh, I think the serial killer is a confidence man too. How do you get on a jury? More psychotic. I had a yeah. quick I had a quick one. Okay. Okay. Is it explicit that the serial killer killed the person, the victim of the, the trial? So the actor's wife, I believe. I, I think remember. it's explicit from the because if it's just a random serial killer, is that also a possibility? Okay, so that gets that's a good question. I think he did. I think the point is the killer's on the jury, but I see the distinction. My next one was going to be because it says serial killer in the description, but for this trial, it seems like it's just one or two. Which is that a serial killer? Is that so? I wanted to know: Are we going to get the serial killer's body count? And uh-huh. is it the plus minus ten? But I'm thinking of going to eight. Plus um, how many? I'm going high. Let's set it at ten. You know, go over under ten. We go over. You know, say so. It's a serial killer who's done more killings than just what he's on the trial is for. Quick question. Yeah. Um, I just thought of this. Since this is like a high profile actor and his uh, wife case, do you think there's going to be a reference to Manson? Ooh, let's. That's a good one. It's Charles Manson reference. Charles Manson. Is there a reference to him? Is there like, explicit, like, oh, this is like the Manson trial kind of thing? Good question. I'm going to say no. It's a good one. No, but it just came to my head. I agree. You're going to say no? Yeah. Peter. You can't. Fine, I'll say yes. For, say I, yeah, because it's yours. It may happen. Okay, that's a good one. Okay, we have so many prop heads here. Okay, serial killers. I think we both went over 10 for the serial killer's body count. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the courtroom scenes, the amount of times objection is yelled at 4.5, over under 4.5 for objection. I'm not going to count that. I'm just going to, it's going to be a feel for me. Uh, you could have said 12. I. I it's going to be an over for me. Over. Objection. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say over as well. Okay. Uh, love interest for Eddie Flynn. Good question. Good question. Love interest for Eddie Flynn. I'm gonna say no. I think it's too busy. And a rekindled one. Like if an ex girlfriend shows up. I think she shows up later. But I'm gonna say no love. I think she was a, a maybe an important person in his life early on in the series, but yeah. before she's left him. But maybe at the end of the book gets rekindled you're gonna say re- okay so i'm just I'm gonna say and it's gonna near the end if she makes an appearance she's gonna be at the end okay okay so you say yes i'm saying if she just shows up as a character and nothing gets rekindled i still win okay do my no counts because i'm i'm saying is there gonna be a will they won't they type thing and i'm just gonna say no i think he's too busy with the case that's it for me you got any
some of them overlapped with mine. Okay. Um, serial. Here's my first one. Who uncovers the serial killer on the jury? So what I was thinking here is, does Eddie find that out? I'm going to say Eddie. Or does someone on the jury have suspicions? And then we know, okay, here's that. And then we, like, I'm just wondering, when does he find that out? Does someone before him find it out? And it's like. Come to him with. Yeah, and it's like kind of dismissed. Almost. I got that. Does that make sense? That's a good one. Although that's crazy to say. I think I'm I gonna, but that's a good or like his investigator, or does he get like a note like saying, Hey, look into this. Look into juror number twelve or whoever. Yeah, I like that. Um one of okay, this is based on true events. We already talked about that one. Is the actor uh accused from murder at the peak of their powers or a faded star? Ooh. That, that's good. Um, I'm gonna say peak. Peak. I'm gonna go faded. Okay. And that might tie to if if it kind of goes into that, we can kind of maybe decipher who this possibly is in real yeah. life. Is it like Robert Blake? Because Robert Blake was kind of a uh, washed up. Washed up. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. talked about is the serial killer the killer of the murders or some other murders? Um, Eddie Flint. We're in book four here. He is an ex-con. Are we sure he's he's qualified to be getting this high profile of a case? Now oh. we don't know exactly like how good of a lawyer he is. If this was book one, I think it would be um, like wouldn't be believable. But will we be like? Because I was thinking about the like, how is he the lawyer for this case? So you would oh. think oh. it would be like a team of lawyers. Actually, that might be a question. Is there a team of lawyers in this book? Or just Eddie. I'm going to say just Eddie. And I think having read enough of these, I'm not too worried about that. Okay. Okay. Eddie will have had plenty of time, his three other books to prove his bones. And I think a con artist would make a good lawyer, right? It's true. The the gimmick of the thing, right? The last one is, uh, I think it was on Goodreads, the sort of brief uh, synopsis of the book says, there's sinister incidents. I referenced in the uh, description. What might those be? I, I, my, for me, it was making other jury members uncomfortable uh, to the point where they like leave the like jury duty. They like, uh, uh, have a mental breakdown of some sort. Uh, they're maybe seen by the serial killer as like uh, an obstacle in, in, in the way of uh, convicting the wrong guy. I'm not sure exactly what the sinister incidents would be, though. Yeah, I think it might be further murders. Further murders? Does a, does a juror die? Does a serial killer kill another juror? He just kills all the well, No, no, no. Just uh, maybe just one. Who's, okay. Because I think I don't think he's going to creep out the fellow jurors. I think he's, sh- he's going to be sharp enough to not draw attention. I think he creeps them out. Okay, I'm gonna say. Okay, I'm gonna say no. He he knows okay. not to draw attention. He faked his way on a jury. He's not gonna like kill fly like pull the wings okay. off flies in the box. If he's this clever, he's not gonna draw attention to himself. Okay, you want to have that be a bet? Does he is he overtly creepy or? How about this? Kill someone on the jury at the end. Does somebody on the jury die? By yes. the suit. How about that? Does someone on the jury die? By the serial killer. I'm yeah. gonna say yes. Yeah. That's my oh, that's yeah, my yeah. outlandish prediction. I think there's gonna be a juror who like wants to not convict. Okay. And then presumably he the serial killer wants him to convict. Convinces them otherwise, then I don't think he kills them before the end of the trial. I will say that. I think he kills I think them. I he'll try know. he'll at least try. And like plausibly, he won't. It won't be lead back to him. Presumably, he's a halfway decent serial killer. So, okay, halfway decent. All right, so that's the prop bets. We have about like 20, 25 prop bets. Yeah. Anyway, it's fun. Fun to do. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's the prop bets. Um, we'll Matt, post have- them. We'll post them over on Patreon. We'll make. Uh, the post viewable to the public so you can see if you're curious Um, but yeah join in take a look 
those episodes, like we said, are over on our Patreon. We are also doing the new uh, book club over on our Patreon where we, where we read uh, bestsellers. Uh, bestseller Corner uh, is something we're starting up here in the next month or two where we kind of read books that we normally wouldn't read, which are books that everyone else is reading. Uh, it's kind of the premise there. Uh, so that's over on our Patreon. I have my library corner where I talk every month about the books I check out and books and read I, I get I check out from the library. So that's over there on our Patreon. As always, we are always doing uh, weekly episodes or when we miss a week, we are, we're over on our Patreon there. So um, feel free to uh, let us know your thoughts on upcoming books we have added to our TBR or books you think we should add to our TBR if you know our kind of tastes or want to uh, send us sh- suggestions. We always appreciate that. Uh, Matt, am I forgetting anything? We have a ton of books coming up. Uh, baseball no, books. We got 4-H. Yeah, 4-H. You can't call it 4-H, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that about it's fun. We're gonna time. select some more books for November here soon. It's just yeah, gonna keep, keep going. Add to the TBR. Add time to the doesn't stop. We added mm-hmm. a uh, we added two books um, for our kind of like our spooky October, and one of them is 700 pages. Pretty good so far. I started. It was good. Yeah, I just got in my other one. I just got my copy. There you go, the Black Spider. So, Such a cool cover. Yeah, cool cover. Yeah. So be on the lookout for our TBR varied selection of books coming up. So uh, something for everybody. So Matt, any final thoughts tonight as we await our first snowstorm here uh, next couple of days? Good, good reading weather coming up. Good cozy reading weather. Good cozy reading weather. All right. Try not to put your hand in the oven, okay? Yeah, I'm going to go rub my hand out of cold water. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.